casting. Okay, Maria, Maria Grazia Laricella. So I apologize, Maria. I tried to run this by you sooner. I struck the full full name struggles. I'm going to call you Maria because that's how I think of you. But I, uh, you gave me permission to do that. So I, you know, I really appreciate that. Good to see you, by the way. We've been talking all day, so it's like really funny to like, cut into our conversation, right? <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, and so, so where, where do I find you right now? Calgary? Uh, well, I'm two hours north, no, southwest of Calgary. So Lethbridge, Canada. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so I am right now. <laughs> right. And, and so you're not like, you're, you're over there in that, um, you're over there in that kind of, uh, Western side of Canada, like not far from, from Vancouver and Seattle. Not too far. No, not what's too the, far. What's the name of that big state park right there? You get up, you're up against the Rocky Mountains. What's the big park called? Yeah. The, what everyone knows is Banff. Yes. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Beautiful, okay. beautiful place. Right. I, I went there the first time I visited here. Okay, yeah. Yeah, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, you, you go between, um, uh, you look part-time in Canada, part-time in Tampa Bay, Florida, right? And then part in part in Argentina, right? Well, yeah. Well, Canada is the newest part. Got it. Um, got it. I'm, I usually do fifty percent in Safety Harbor, Florida, yeah. which is in Tampa, and yeah. then fifty um, percent in Argentina as of two thousand eighteen. Yeah. And, yeah. and by the way, we're not as far as part as far apart as uh, you might imagine. I'm, I'm from Safety Harbor in the Tampa Bay area. I'm closer. Yeah. I meant to tell you that we're, we're we're closer than you might imagine. But then again, I don't know when you when you might be there. So you do this. You're doing this Canada. You're doing this Canada Calgary way, way over there, Tampa Bay thing, and then the Argentina thing. Yeah. So uh, really, I'm excited to have you. Thank you for being a guest tonight, and this is really an honor. I've been basically um, stalking and tracking you for years, and we've been friends. We were introduced to a mutual friend, um, Crystal. Um, Crystal, right? Crystal. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think I sent this to her tonight. I'm hoping she's watching, but you know, she recently had a baby and she, she's got her hands full, but she's a wonderful, wonderful person. And I uh, really appreciate her introducing me to you. So I've been really fascinated with you as an entrepreneur and this whole so social entrepreneuring that you've been uh, doing for so many years. And I, and I thought your story was pretty good until like, I asked you to send me your bio. And I was like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, by the way, we have to do something here. Okay. All right, hold on. We got to start this thing off correctly. I, you can see it's, I'm a bit of an amateur here, so. Yeah, we got to do this. Yeah. While that's playing. <laughs> Happy hour to everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not cutting that short because I love it too much. Um, um, Melanie, it is Eye of the Tiger, but it's the original. Right. So I was informed of this tonight, and I had no idea. This is Gloria Gaynor, and I had no idea that um, that this was the original Eye of the Tiger. I'm really embarrassed to say this because I'm known in my family as the music trivia person, and, and, and what's really sad, hold up. Yeah. Right. Now, what's really embarrassing for me on this is this is probably one of my favorite songs as a kid and from my generation. And, um, you know, obviously, um, 
how this, I did not know this was a cover uh, all this time is impossible to me, right? So thank yeah, you for breaking that down for me. And uh, yeah, yeah. I kind of like it there in the background a little bit. So, so uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that with me. And so that's going to be the theme of the night. And I should have made that the cover slide, Eye of the Tiger. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, this is how we're going to kick this off. And again, we were going to get in, I want to get into your story. So here's the format of the show. Um, I basically interview you a little bit podcast style and get your, your background and your story. And then we're going to transition into uh, specific ideas that we have for people out there right now in this new, new economy and ways that they can be creative around income streams and, and, uh, and business ideas. Right. But first of all, I want to get, I want to get your, um, your background, your story. So the first thing I'm going to do is kind of throw up, um, this, presentation right i'm calling it oh i did oh, wait a minute i did better than i thought on the cover slide <laughs> so good. I, I forgot that i actually threw i threw this together within an hour ago i forgot that i actually covered my base so this is survivorpreneurship and i don't even think that's i don't know who, i feel like i coined that word by the way i've never you seen any you can't you can't invent anything on the internet so i'm sure that it, it exists right um so uh let me move my little um pod to the side and I'm going to start with our sponsor. So I've got, we've got a sponsor and this is a Tampa Bay based company called secure startup. And what they do is they provide a platform for early stage startup companies to be able to put their documents out and manage how they interact with investors. Right? So when you're, when you're raising money for a company, a lot of, you know, that's what I do in my day job is I help, I help Tampa Bay based companies raise capital um, with the Tampa Bay wave. And uh, we've, we struggle with all these documents in terms of, you know, making sure who's getting the documents when and is it for their eyes only? And um, and then can they can they control that and manage through that process? There's, there's, believe it or not, there's very few platforms out there that do that well to make sure that that's really done secure in a very controlled way. And it's really important because as a startup, you're sharing your financials, you're sharing your projections, you're sharing a lot of you're sharing your trade secrets. Right. You're sharing a lot of important things. So you need to be able to control who sees that. And that's what Secure Startup does, and uh, they're they're sponsoring this podcast and this uh, webcast. And what's really cool is I got a, a call out of the blue that that this that they wanted to actually sponsor this. So I wasn't even looking for a sponsor. Now I'm excited because now I'm like, okay, who's next? Who wants to sponsor after Secure Startup? That's great. <laughs> kind of bless. It's a real blessing, right? It's a real blessing. So um, that's our sponsor, and uh, there'll be more at the end. You'll be able to follow on emails. You'll be able to get a link to to check out their platform. Okay, so first of all, just quickly about me, and uh, you know, I, I teach entrepreneurship at the University of South Florida, top ten, top ten entrepreneurship program in the country. Look it up; it's actually true. Ranked by Entrepreneurship Magazine and Princeton Review. Um, also, I do some time at the University of Tampa's Entrepreneurship Center, the Lowell Tampa Entrepreneurship Center, which is uh, incredible, uh, uh, prestigious um, entrepreneurship center where I do some volunteering there as an entrepreneur residence working with student founders. Uh, the Tampa Bay Wave Startup Accelerator, which is my my true love, aside from my my uh, my, my wife of 25 plus years, um, the Tampa Bay Wave Startup Accelerator, where we've uh, we've helped well over 200 companies in the last. Um, uh, 10 years and we've helped them raise um, lots of money and lots of support. We have over 100 mentors and over th almost 300 uh, investors in our network. And we've uh, we currently have a little over 50 companies in the accelerator. 
and that's the Tampa Bay Wave. So it's one of the largest startup accelerators in the country. Uh, my career has been half corporate, half entrepreneur, so that's why I feel like I have a unique position to be able to connect with people that are still in their jobs and people that are, you know, uh, have already made the leap. But I'm really focusing my life now on people that are still in their jobs and helping them understand how to make the leap. And, and if if it's for them, by the way, if it if it's something, if it's if it's for them, what does it take? What do they should be preparing and planning for? In my book that I just finished. Where's my book? I should be plugging it. Um, I, actually, I, uh, my, pl- my book is called Quit the Start, and, it, and I wrote this in a very audacious, um, my producer is handing me my book, I like that. Um, this is my book. <laughs> I have to plug my book, Maria, right? Yes, so, uh, 100%. And my sister, by the way, my sister who lives in Seattle that's only a few hours from you, um, helped design this cover, right? Yeah, and the idea right. is, right, that, you know, Quit the Start, and this was really, I, um, kind of represented my attitude about it, where I've done this a few times. And ultimately, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial mindset folks um, know what I'm talking about. They, they stay frustrated in their jobs. They, 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 it's hard to work for other people when you have an entrepreneurial mindset. Maria, can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> right? Okay. So it's really hard to work for other people. By the way, there's nothing wrong with the boss. There's nothing wrong with the company. There's nothing wrong with the company, the coworkers. There's it's not about them. There's nothing wrong with those people, even though you kind of feel that there's something wrong with them. It's not them. It's you, right? You're the one with the disease. <laughs> you have the entrepreneurial disease, the entrepreneurial mindset. So you ultimately, um, you can either suffer forever in that, and, or you can come to grips with the fact that you probably need to start something. And, and then you need to actually understand the game and how the game works and where the game ends and how it gets played and what kind of a plan it takes to get there. And so that's that's what the book is about. Um, quit to start. I actually use the quit thing to get your attention, but the book actually the opening chapter says, "Don't quit." Um, you know, <laughs> don't quit your job immediately. Like, not don't, yet. Yeah, don't not yet. Exactly, and and that's one of the cool things about your story, Maria. Uh, how you how you did your exit. So I'm dedicated to others through my site called Plan Their. Wow, it's called Plan Your Start, but I said you know Plan Their Start is plural but I have a website called Plan Your Start. And the reason I did that, by the way, is because the quit thing is so provocative, right? And a lot of people weren't comfortable like even joining my LinkedIn group because it was like quit to start. Like they didn't want their employer to see that, right? And it's like, you know, you kind of like, so my book is kind of like the little secret bad boy, like the little, uh, you know, dirty, uh, wrong word, uh, guilty pleasure, another guilty pleasure book, right? But I'm using like Plan Your Start as the, you know, the safe place that we can go. So this webcast is raw and unrehearsed, as demonstrated in the past uh, 30 seconds, right? And that, and this, by the way, we're on week three, and uh, I, I've not um, done many of these, so we're, we're kind of learning as we go. So that's a little bit about me. And so let's talk about Maria. So Maria, this is where we get into, this is where I get to interview you. By the way, we've got a lot of folks out there right now. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, this is awesome. And I'm going to look at the chat room real quick. Um, so cool. Let me take a quick look. Um, uh, thank you. Uh, you know, Art says he, he read my book and, and I talk about three types of entrepreneurs in the book. Type A, type B, type C. Um, by the way, type, type A is, is like a classic type A, you know, like, you know, the person that you just know is like going to crush it. They're just kind of cr- type B is the analytical, clinical, like plotting. They're plotting their escape. And yeah, OK, right. <laughs> <laughs> Type C is the the one that's lacking some confidence who knows that they may or may not have it in them. They always dream of it. They're kind of like would love the idea of it. They just don't necessarily, they, they just kind of like 
don't have necessarily the confidence or the 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 knowledge in this so they're type c uh art says he's been all three types <laughs> at the same time um okay so we've got a lot of cool people what we're going to do is we're going to um, jump back into this and i want to learn about maria so maria I feel like I want to play Gloria Gaynor again, but I'm not going to do that because I feel like that's the proper. You need walk-in. Hold on. You need walk-in music. Hold on. Wait for that. All right. Okay, good. Let's walk. See, that's. That's walk-in music, which is the boxing reference. Um, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so your first job, so the whole idea here is for you to tell your story, and I'm going to pull the story out of you, and then we're going to transition pretty quickly into some ideas for today that we're going to share exactly. with people. So so your first job, 12 years old, wait, that's that's not legal. Totally. totally. It doesn't matter. All right, let's hear it. I just want to thank you so much. Thank you for having me on here. And ah, this is great. I, you said that you've been stalking me and like watching my, my work, but I've been just so amazed at everything you're doing and just watching Tampa grow and you're at the epicenter of it. And so just thank you for everything you're doing and um, just an inspiration beyond belief. So thank you. Hey, thank I want to interject. Real, I want to interject real quick and say, you know, we said a little prayer before this started. So I thought that was pretty cool as well. So you really set the tone before we turn the cameras on. So that was great. Awesome. Um, well, yeah. So I, like you know, um, I don't think anything's just coincidental. So uh, yeah. I'm excited to be here. And yeah, so, so I did 12, it. Well, oh, wait a minute. Twelve years old. You must be exaggerating. No, no, no. We're in, so I'm. I was born in in Italy, and my family are all immigrants, and the hard work was just part of what we did and who we are. I mean, right? So the American dream was very um, much ingrained in in our culture, and going to to work at twelve, it wasn't like a thing that, like it. You just did it because it's like kind of what you did. I don't. I don't know how else to describe it. But you know, babysitting, and then working at a carnival, um, which was the coolest thing ever. So yes, you can call me a carny. Um, I've been called that before. And it was wonderful because the people I worked for, they actually have a very, really, really cool story. They're, they were all firefighters. Mm -hmm. And on the summer, you know, in the summertime, they had these rides. And it, it was a, like now looking back in hindsight, the entrepreneurial just grit to them and the kind of money they were making unbelievable and i'm i was making so much money at that age like i was just bringing home it was it was quite remarkable um at 14 years old 13 it was 13 when i started them i think 13 yeah and and every weekend just bringing home cash and um you know it was like okay we can do this right and so from there it just just work was a part of my life and i i did school um i was leader and captain of most of my you know teams and that like i think just translated into my life of being some sort of head of something you know and kind of sometimes to fall too bossy and you know that kind of like little nasty brat you know i'm sure that was there and uh i don't see it i don't see it i can usually see it i can tell you i don't see it just so you know well i mean i think i just had an episode with my cto and i was like oh my god that was nasty yeah but with like a real big smile and stuff so it's not the same oh. 
Well, we'll see what he says, you know, but uh, no, needless, you know, it, it's um, pretty cool. I started at 12 and I think that uh, it just taught me something really powerful. Uh, my mom, and I'll, I'll say it right from the get-go, my mother from, from as far back as I can remember, she always said, work hard for what you want and never rely on anyone else. And right. yes, she was in corporate, um, but she worked her tail off with, I, I don't even think she graduated high, um, high school. And she worked her tail off and, and got to top you know, levels at a huge bank in New York City. And I just watched that and I watched my father work multiple jobs to provide and between the two of them, it was just like, you work for what you want. And um, you yeah. just don't, don't, don't let someone else dictate that, you know? So tell me, so I, you tell me you were, you tell me you were a C student, uh, <laughs> you're right, until you took a business class. Yeah, yeah, I was um, at uni and I was gonna be a phys ed teacher and the logic that I took was I can be a teacher. So I was going to be a phys ed, I was a phys ed major. And I said, I can be a teacher because I that's in me to teach. Um, I can be a teacher. And then on the weekends and on during the summer breaks, I could run a business. Yes. That was my logic. So I had some safety and financial security. Um, but then I could always do what I've always wanted to do, which was own a business. And um, a C student, C student, just I had test anxiety taking all sorts of weird stuff. And Finally, I took my first business class and I I just, you know, flying colors, you know, top of the class. And I realized like, all right, I'm good at this. And um, I just had this. Feel like it was the, your ability to, was it your ability to communicate and pitch the room and connect with people? Or what do you think it was uh, the business plan itself? I mean, just be honest, do you, do you, you know? I think it was the idea of coming up with this concept and all the little parts, yeah, seeing it come to life. I think it was the building side of it, and it was an idea that you could just have. You can have this thought and actually create something. Okay. And I just was fascinated. And this and was a wait a minute. This was a, to, to foretell things. This was a this was a, a social yeah. enterprise, yeah. a Brazil-based social enterprise at that point, right? And this yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, they told us we had to create it in an emerging market. And at that point when I, you know, in 2000, however, it was, I, I'm terrible with years, by the way, guys. Um, but whenever it was in 2000s, um, I, the emerging market was Brazil. And I chose, I chose Brazil. I've always loved Latin America. I've always been called there. And sure enough, I did a, um, there was two businesses. We did a, a bridal business, recession proof, and um, a, like modeling agency, bartender kind of thing, um, agency there as well, and because that was my background. Yeah, and but when you were, but were you live? Where were you living at that time? In New York. In New York. Yeah. Oh, okay, all right, okay. You were in New York at that time. Okay, yeah. so I got the bartender in there, events and weddings. Um, so wait a minute, let's jump ahead to this travel agent, art sales thing. So how, how did that come to be? Um, well, as I so I went into business. I graduated. Um, marketing and entrepreneurship, which entrepreneurship was so new. It was like yeah. a taboo thing. Yeah, that I, it, right? it was like, the, it was like the, the thing in the back the back office. When I, so weird. They didn't have office, no, they didn't have staff or faculty, right? I know. It was yeah. an add-on. It was an add-on, actually. Miss, misfits, misfits over there, right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Like, you guys, we don't know what to do with. And so, um, but it worked. It worked really well. And I, I graduated and... Um, I was I graduated with a a focus on um, fashion and fashion history, and so I really that's why the bridal 
industry, I kind of went toward that way. Um, again, I thought recession proof, um, everyone gets married and I loved fashion and I love fashion. So I went that route, but, and I, I was studying in St. Pete with a wonderful designer, another wild entrepreneur, um, Ivanka Ska. And I was um, studying under her and I took the summer off and I went and traveled for four months. And that was like, that was the end of it. I was like, this is what I need to do. I need to go and travel, right? I need to show people what the world's like because I just experienced an incredible journey. And um, from there, I I went and sought out some travel agencies and I said, you know, so I, I settled with one in Tampa and I worked there for a few years and it was sales. It was, it was sales. Yeah. And um, that owner, she taught me tons. She taught me tons as well. And um, from there, I realized it wasn't for me because being a travel agent is very different than creating yeah. an experience for someone. Um, you know, someone would just call me and say, hey, I want to take my family on a cruise. And it's like, no, you should go to Italy and, you know, ride a car, you know, yeah, just like yeah. drive through the country. Yeah. You, know? you didn't want to give them what they were asking for. You wanted yeah. to put them in the best situations yeah. that you knew that existed. That's right? exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it. And I said, okay, so you I want to fill the order. <laughs> I know. And yeah, that's what I felt like I was doing. And I said, no, I, I need to do things differently. Well, I felt so in love with travel, though. Um, and I learned tons of skills. I said, how can I travel the world for free? And still kind of give people that cultural element of travel. And so when I travel, I always buy a few things that are kind of staple everywhere I go. And one of them's art. And so I said, well, if I can do marketing and sales in travel, why don't I sell art? So I get to travel the world and find these awesome artists and I can sell art for people. And so I went in that direction and wow. kind of how the travel came to be, you know, and then, and then, and then something interesting, you, you decided on your own, I guess, to, to, um, to, um, donate what 10% of the art sales to your, to local, local charities. Near. So, okay. So when did this whole, whole social enterprising thing creep into your, your whole mindset? I think as a kid, it was my dad. My mom told me to work my tail off. My dad told me to have compassion. And so like the opposite, right? The dad's the one who's telling you to work your tail off. Your mom's like, well, hey, be well, your mom was like telling you to work your butt off. And your dad was well, telling you compassion. I mean, I'm just saying that's sometimes yeah. you know, stereo stereotypically that would be the opposite, right? Yeah. But my mom is, is uh, I mean, she she's yeah, nation and, you know, Sicilian women, that's what we are. Right. And um, yeah, I you know I don't offend anyone with saying like that. Oh, it's great. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Um, but your dad, so your dad is the one who encouraged you to do uh, good for society. Yes, he Mom did. Was like, go crush it. Go, you know. That's, yeah. Okay. That's right, and um, it was beautiful. It was just a really beautiful thing. And I said, you know what? If I'm making money, why not help someone? To me, it was just there was never. Why wouldn't you do that? Why yeah. would you keep all them? I never understood that. So. Mm -hmm. um, I would uh, give a percentage back, and that was that's how it started, right? And so it caught wind. Were these um, in, was this in South America that you were donating to? No, it was anywhere. So if I had an artist in, say, Italy, I would donate to a charity in Italy. Mm. If I had an artist in Latin America and in Argentina, I would donate in Argentina. So it depended where the artist okay. was from, the artist would choose. Okay. And yeah. so, okay, so now how did you bump in? Okay, so I'm... I'm Obviously, I'm leaping along here. How, how did you bump into this orphanage in Argentina? Right, right. Well, that was the that was how it all happened was through the art. And so um, I have obviously a lot of art all over my place. 
and you know, not now, but um, I had a lot of art around and I, I was doing a lot of charity work just for my father. And um, so I had the photos of children from Africa around my apartment. And at that point uh, I had, I don't know, we were going out somewhere and I had a friend of a friend come over my apartment and said, oh, are you a missionary? And I said, no, I'm the furthest from that. You know, I just completely renounced it. And um, she said, well, my father has an orphanage in Argentina. Maybe you can help raise money for them. And at that point, Argentina was on top three of my list to, to travel to. And I heard Argentina and that was it. And I said, yeah, give him my number. And, you know, didn't think anything of it. Well, then three or four days later, uh, he called me, her father called me. And he's the founder of an orphanage in Argentina and said, hey, we're going down there in three months. Do you want to go? That was it. I fundraised and I left and I went. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that changed. It sounds like that changed your life. It did. It yeah. was um, 11 days and it was, uh, you know, when you realize you're like, I, I everyone knows they're here for something, right? Yeah. I think you're in this, especially if you're watching this video, you know, you have a call, you know, yeah. that you are here to do something great. And I've always known it, but I don't think I ever nailed it on the head. You know, you just, I didn't. And then when I went there, no idea what I'm getting myself into. Um, and you meet these kids. Yeah. And I heard the stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that was it. I, was like, I have to do something. And at, mm -hmm. at the vineyard, I went to a vineyard on a cultural experience 10 minutes away. And it was pure, lush, luxury, gorgeous wine, gorgeous art. And I'm like, I need to bridge these two together. And the whole, and just, just it was as if it downloaded and I, I just had to do it. That was it. Okay, so now that brings us right to okay. So you you're living in Tampa Bay, you know, primary residence. Is that right? Okay, Correct. so you decide to launch a nonprofit, but you don't have any money. I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the nonprofit is going to benefit. The, the nonprofit is going to benefit this orphanage, right, in Argentina. But you don't have any money. Pick it up there. Like, what, what what's your plan? What's, what's your plan at that point? Um, at that point, I went home. I had told I had um, three other partners in this business, and I had said to them, "I said I know that I started this with you. Um, take it. I'm I'm out. I'm gonna go. I gotta pursue this." Like it was just such a deep passion inside of me, and um, we started. I, I we started to say, "Okay, here's this business. You guys can take it. You know, I'm I'm okay with it." And then. I said, what do I do? I, I really had no idea what to do, but keep working. I actually kept working as a bartender. So um, Alan didn't say this, but I worked as a bartender. I started at 14 years old, totally illegal in New York um, up until I was 28. So I bartended all the whole time through. And By the way, quick interjection, Mark Cuban, uh, just recently, a couple months ago, uh, they asked him like, if you lost everything, what would you do? And he said, I know I'll always be okay because um, I would just go back to being a bartender and I would restart and build up everything because bartenders make great money and you can always get work. Anyway, that was Mark Cuban a couple months ago just saying that, right? So you, I feel like that, I mean, I'm not advocating everybody be a bartender, not everybody can do it, whatever, but there is yeah. some power in that. Not only is it energizing, energetic, and it really pays well, and, you, and there's always, uh, should be always typically a job everywhere in any place, in any city. And I'm just painting the upside to it, right? There's a lot of, dark you know downside to it right 
but it is one of those things that, uh, but by the way, what I love about it is you, you're forced to be personable, you're forced to engage, use energy. So you, your energy, you can't escape the energy. So even if you're just doing that, you cannot, uh, if you have an entrepreneurial mindset, you, you will not be able to shut, you will not be able to turn off the wheels that are turning because you're talking to so many interesting people and ideas. It's be impossible to do your job and not have like idea generation. So yeah. Yeah. Is that true? And I think what happened so now as my own woman i am actually quite an introvert now you met me as a bartender you would <laughs> never ever assume i was an introvert um and it's funny if, if anyone i know is watching this they'll be commenting on facebook about me being an introvert or an extrovert but um the old the old maria the new maria right something like that um but yeah bartending is just one of those things first of all you need to you need to it's psychology I mean, right? Even a certain, you know, restaurant server. Um, it's it's psychology. It's marketing. You have to market something. You're you're selling them something. And I'm always trying to get the upsell so I get a better tip, right? I mean, there's always that. There was so much that we learned, and um, you know, good and bad. But at the end of the day, yeah, I always had a job. I always made sure that there was money. So when I started this organization, I never ever thought to ask people for money like no I, i'm gonna go earn it and then i'm gonna reinvest it i'm gonna earn it and reinvest it that's just and again i think that goes back to my parents right you earn your money you earn your keep if you will like not your keep but in in some sense you don't look for, you don't look for handouts that's not yeah no and but thankfully what that's done is it's created a willingness to work hard and people seeing that and they give you money and they help you with resources. And I'll tell you that I have had people give of their talents and their treasures and time. I, I, I'm, I'm sometimes like, this is unbelievable how people are willing to give when they see you working just as hard. Yeah. Like if I was out there just saying, hey, give me money, give me money, give me money. That's right. Yeah, I can get your money. But yeah. at what point do they say, well, what, what work are you doing? Like. Yeah. You know? I, I got to add to that. First of all, we have a saying in the in the in the game of startups that you probably heard, but um, uh, ask for money and get advice. Ask for advice, you get money, right? You probably heard that. Ask for advice, you get money. Ask for money, you get advice. And the other part of that, and, and I actually am quoted on this twenty, uh, no, not twenty, ten years ago in a magazine on it was when I had one of my startups in the two thousand nine two thousand ten timeframe. Um, the other piece of that is when you take the leap and you throw all your skin in the game and you burn your own boats and you are all in. And by the way, you, you're it's clear that you're going to do this with or without the help of anybody. All of a sudden, people want to help you. That's right. All of a sudden, people want to help. Like they don't want to. Nobody wants to like nobody's compelled to help somebody that uh, has a backup B plan that's kind of testing or trying some. They do, but it's not the same. You throw yourself all into something. And you're just and you're providing all the energy on it. People want to grab a hold of that and help it. That's right. So you, it's like a law of the universe, right? And by the way, it, it it that sounds great, but you know what that requires? That requires you. If anybody listening, it requires you to go all in. So it's not like so. Unfortunately, and unfortunately, fortunately, this little benefit we're talking about comes at a really big price, and 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 that means you going all in first and then not expecting anything from anybody. And as soon as you go all in and you don't expect anything from anybody, then here comes the kind of the blessings, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, 100%. I agree. That's, that's so well put, Alan. Um, you know, it's funny, like, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of all the people mm-hmm. that did that when I said, I'm not going to wait. I have urgency. These kids are my, these kids, my why. So, you know, I, and all the people who are going to say, you're never going to make it. Oh, you need money. You need this, you need that. And I think what you mean by going all in, because sometimes, like I said, I, I bartend right up to 20. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm 34 yeah. guys. So I'm, I just short while ago, I quit bartending. Um, and then I still kept working a second job to fund and feed yeah. this. But, you know, I think that there's something to be said, like, I, there was no plan B. Like I wasn't going to work for another company. That's why I don't have friends. I actually have some people that aren't my friends anymore because they kept saying, go work for a company, go work for a company. And it's like, do you not get it? Yeah. This <laughs> is not about if I'm going to go work for a company or if I'm going to fail or succeed. This is, this has no chance to fail. This will succeed. Yeah. And that's I've, got a cha- I've got a chapter in my book uh, called uh, failure is overrated. And, and I actually, um, this is one of the, the fun things I like to bring up and be controversial because there's so much talk of failure and learning from failure and be okay with failure. And, and it's kind of a, a thing in the entrepreneurial world right now. And I, and I, and I, I listen and tolerate and, and I'm respectful of that. And there is a lot of truth, but it's only true. It's only true when you look back at failure that it's, it's true. It's a true statement. But, but under no circumstances should an aspiring entrepreneur or someone who's trying to build something think for a second about failure. In fact, in fact, failure is not an option. And I write about it in my book. You should have a massive, massive fear of failure. It's kind of what I hate to say it. People think I skew to the negative too much sometimes, but you should be you should be waking up out of bed, not with joy, but with sheer panic. <laughs> I'm sorry. People have to forgive me on this. Like you should be, if you're not waking up in the middle of the night or waking up in the morning at like with sheer panic to go get something done, to move something forward, I apologize, but you're not, you're not doing it right. And, uh, um, but, but to, I hate to pan, fear of failure is a big driver. It, it, people want to, don't want to acknowledge this, but every entrepreneur that I study and I feel like I've studied a, a lot, uh, not only studied the famous ones, but know so many, I hate to say this, but most of the ones that make it to the other side and actually pull off something big, um, they were driven by a fear of failure. And I hate this. It sounds negative, but it's true. So you, you pick out something really big that you want to accomplish that's probably too big for you to, to, uh, to chew off. And you put, yourself, you put yourself in a real vulnerable position, the really, really out there on a limb that you have to fight your way to make it work. And uh, I'm maybe you and I didn't prep on that topic, but I just I've got to put no, that out. Okay. There. I, I always go to this topic. I'm sorry. It's OK. No, I'm very passionate about it. I think, again, there's two types of, you know, uh, and I think, again, I uh, everything I believe if you're listening to this, you're one of those people who who knows they're destined for something huge. Right. And, and I think that's the the pull of it's not just an entrepreneurial thing it's that's what gets it started right that's what sets right. the thing in motion right i had a fear of failure that was so it was gripping which is terrible it actually gripped me so i think that there's the healthy side of it which motivates you like now i feel i don't even think that that's so not even an not because i fear the failure it's because i'm so confirmed and rooted and this is not only my work but this is god's work i'm so rooted in that 
But would you agree, Maria, that, that in, in, just indulge me for a second, would you say, yeah. could you, I mean, don't take these words wrong, but you have a bit of the luxury now because you actually got lift. I talk about, like, you, you, you got the plane in the air, but getting that plane in the air um, is a, is, requires a massive amount of effort and, uh, and a lot of, lot of ugliness and dirty, messy, yeah. scary stuff, right? But once you've got a little bit of lift, I'm not saying you're smooth sailing, everything's perfect. But 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 then you, it is it is kind of nice to be able to like sit back and hit, hit a couple knobs and start collecting yourself and go. You know what? That was scary as hell getting that off the tarmac, and we almost all died. But because I was so gritty through that, and it was it almost killed me mentally, physically. But now that we're up here, yeah. we don't have to act like crazy people trying to fight for our lives. We can relax. Let the plane, let the airplane do its thing and let's start being smarter. Is that analogy hold up for you a little bit? Because I don't think you can get an airplane off the ground with the lagsadaisial, uh, right? No, I no, And I think now I'm understanding after, Mm -hmm. I don't know how long I've been an entrepreneur, but I can say, I'm just going to speak for these eight years because my organization's going on this, this year is our eighth year of existence. And um, I, I think these past eight years, that's what you're talking about is getting it off, especially as a nonprofit with zero funding, zero backing, no grants to this day. I've got not gotten one grant. Um, and I think that, um, and that's not something to be proud of. I just think that it shows the, the how hard it is to actually get it done. Um, but now, you know, I think we'll talk about it afterward about what it actually takes. Yes. It's really hard. Yes. I've had to learn the hard way, unfortunately. I, I, you know, people say like blood, sweat, and tears, quite literally, and I, I hate that. All, kind th- of- all three, all, all three, blood, sweat, and tears, <laughs> right? Yeah, all, all three. Right. Um, <laughs> and, stuff. and and not joking, right, about yeah, that, right? And yeah, yeah. Um, some people just say it to like say it, and it's like, right. yeah, yeah. but I think, yeah, you get to a place where you're like, you know what, maybe that's not that important, and I'm going to focus on this, and you just become wiser, and um, I hope that this conversation and others like it will be able to say, Hey, steer away from that. Like, don't do the same mistakes. Like really learn, learn from this. And I, I wish I had someone younger when I was younger to say, listen, don't do that. You know, I, w- I just wish I, I had that, you know, and, and I'm hoping to do that for other people. I believe I will be a voice for, for people. Well, the biggest takeaway I want to add to that. So the one, the one offsetting caveat to that whole thing I said about how hard it is and it's, and it's, and it's white knuckling, it's, it's intense. And all the things you went through and you and I have talked offline about, you know, the real uh, pain and agony of that. The one thing that and I know you're going to agree with this, that you can do to offset that because it's all going to be hard. Getting that lift off, getting that thing off, impossibly hard. The only offsetting thing you can do other than killing yourself personally, which is what you're saying, let's don't do. And most entrepreneurs is get as much help as you can. Did I just nail it? Yeah. Did I nail that? Right. Yeah. That's and it's really hard for the entrepreneurial type people to do that because we don't often naturally ask for help. Right. Oh, and then we also think we can do it better <laughs> than right. everybody else. Yes. But, I still, um, I, unfortunately, you got to admit, we all still that entrepreneur. We still carry that. We have to fight it every day, don't yeah. we? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, but it does. It takes especially when you're going to do something. Again, I think if you are. I think that there's different entrepreneurs as well. Like, like you said, there's the three types, but I think we can go even further to that and say, there's the, you know, the solopreneur and the homepreneur where maybe they're, you know, going to like make something 
out of yeah. petals and they want to sell it on Etsy and, and 40 grand yeah. a year is like amazing. And that's, that's awesome. You know, I mean, that kind of entrepreneur, that craftsman that who, who is okay with, you know, that's what they want. That's their, yeah. their, that is their definition of success is fantastic. Yes. If that's what they, but it's still hard work, right? And it's still, yeah, it's still yeah, it's so hard. You know? Here's the thing. I love where you're going with this. It's a great, actually, it's a perfect segue to where you want to go on the show. And that is to help and to help people out there that, um, that let's be honest, uh, most of the people that are being thrusted into this bad econ economy, this, this tough economic situation are, are mostly not going to be the natural entrepreneurial mindset people. Right. They're mostly going to be people that are being pushed into something that they're not comfortable with. And you're right. Things like Etsy and Amazon and other uh, freelancer.com and Upwork, there's all these places where they can um, take the skill that they already have, a talent or a skill they already have, and monetize that in a way that might start small and then maybe work from there. Maybe it can be a side business while they still have their job or if they've lost their job, maybe they've got to build it up. But I, I want to I really appreciate you taking it there because there really is these these kind of type A maniacal people like honestly, like me and you in a way like, yeah, right. Yeah. Like we're it's, it's it's kind of I like to tell people just to disarm it. It's, it's kind of a disease. I mean, honestly, like. Yeah. My, my wife would agree with that. Um, and I talk about it in my book. I mean, we laugh, but it is. We can't stop it. It's this maniacal thing, right? But yeah. but but honestly, in today's world with the internet and all those platforms you just mentioned, um, people without the disease, without the disease, can actually you know make great, great side income and can actually yeah. create businesses. And if you're really lucky, you can actually create a great company and not even be that person. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, there, there's a space for it and it, more than ever, more than ever before do we have that opportunity to really become a homepreneur and a solopreneur. But if you're looking for something like maybe what I'm trying to do, you know, we're trying to service 700,000 orphans in one country and then we will move to another country that has another 700,000 orphans. So like when you think of something like that versus no, I just want an income for my family and I want to, you know, very different types of entrepreneurship and um, not one is worse than the other. But I think that when you are looking for something maybe scalable or much or to get, go maybe to the nations and bit much bigger, the team is everything. And I think to have someone to coach you through that, like, how do you get teams? How do you, how do you build a team? How do you, um, and I think from there, you know, it stems, how do you, what's your why? What are your, what's your movement? What's what's going to take you and, and propel you every morning? Will will that why be enough to propel someone else to say, I like that, I'm in, you know? Right. And That's so it right. takes a lot of inner work, I think, as well. Agreed. Your why, your inner work is uh, absolutely critical. It's what will get you up out of bed in the morning. It's what will push you through difficult things, adversity. Because, by the way, let's just put it on the record. Nothing goes right. Yeah. No, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, funny. You're looking at me like, oh, duh. like you're just saying like, duh. like, but I'm just telling you people that haven't been down this entrepreneurial path. They don't yeah. understand that nothing, nothing works. Nothing goes right. And by the way, the thing that you're selling, nobody buys. It's insane. Like the thing that you think it's, it's, it's really the biggest thing. I just can't stress enough. So you've got to be prepared that whatever you're thinking is going to be a real tough slog. And I don't care if you're doing stuff on Etsy or if you're doing stuff, uh, for, if you're trying to like stand out as a as a consultant on uh, a copywriter or a writer or a graphic artist, um, 
it's going to be a lot harder than you expect. So the key is to get in the game. It's like you, you got to get the key is to get in the game and start putting one foot in front of the other, start putting one foot in front of the other and move your way through it and just keep, keep moving through it. And eventually you'll crawl your way out of it and you'll be at another level. Right. But uh, most people don't realize just how hard it is. I don't care what level you're at, by the way, I'm checking some comments and uh, we've got some good ones here. So, um, uh, so, Right now, M Melanie says uh, it's challenging to know where to go for help because so many risk averse people who will try to talk you out of it. And Art says you'll know not to listen to naysayers uh, or those um, who are too positive. But I love what Mel Melanie says here. Yeah. She's so right. Um, boy, that's that's actually pretty freaking deep because I've got I feel like I'm, I'm very blessed in life. I have so many friends. I have so many people in my network and so many people that love me and care about me. And just it's just it's amazing. Um, but it's, uh, you know, the challenge with that is people care about me enough to talk me out of things, right? Mm -hmm. They care about me to talk me out of things, right? Especially if they're not in, in my lane, like you mentioned earlier about, you know, they don't understand. So I have to, I have to kind of like fight through that. And, um, and so what Melanie's saying there is very true. So, and you, you know, you, you alluded to it earlier, uh, Maria, about the fact that you don't necessarily have the same friends today that you had 10 years ago. Maybe, yeah. maybe touch on that. A little yeah. Bit yeah. Melanie, I saw that and I, I saw your comment and I didn't, I knew we'd talk about it sooner or later. I yeah. think, um, you know, the biggest thing is remember I said about that failure. Listen, I have failed left, right, up center throughout my whole journey in life. Right. We all do. Um, but I don't look at it as like, failure like maybe my mom and dad may see it as failure because i didn't make money that year where i see it as okay i learned this is not going to happen okay so for me failure is a very i define failure and success very yeah. different so i that think this didn't work now i'm, I'm going to work i'm going to change it do something different that's right and i think number one is defining what success is for you okay so so don't let society define what success is define define it by your terms you know for me it's so much of well, guess what? I get to be with my family whenever I want. I get to travel the world. I get to to love on children that aren't my own who've never felt love. You know that to me is success, right? Not a you know five hundred thousand dollar income and a huge home and multiple cars. That to me, I don't that I don't define success in that manner. So once you define success, if you start hearing people, that's not oh, you know, that's not going to work. That's not here. That's not there. And and they're not really fitting the mold of what you define as success, which for me, success is having friends around me and family around me that can guide me and support me. Um, well, you're not, you're now not a part of my success model, my success view. And so I need to get rid of that. I need to make sure that you're not a part of that. Um, not get rid of it because, you know, you love people. You don't just, right. they're not disposable, yeah. right? But, I would say compartmentalize. Yeah, you put boundaries around it and there's, you know, and they're not going to understand. I'll tell you that right now, they will not understand boundaries and they'll often, you know, ridicule you or whatever the case is. But at the end of the day, you got to be okay. And you, if it's, you know, you got to learn to love these people no matter what, right? And so I just, I hope that helps in any way. Um, but if they're too positive, I don't know because I saw Art say something about the positive side. I'm all good with positive, but I think um, I'm, a, I'm a part of a wealth management coaching system. And the coach, he always says um, something about um, the, the question is, what if I'm wrong? 
Like you have to have risk management. So you need, if it's always positive, 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 you need someone to say, well, hey, what if this doesn't work? Like, what if you're wrong? You know, yeah. you need the, the both, I believe. So yeah, I think Art had mentioned that. And So here's the thing, I've got the ability to turn on microphones and cameras for those that want to participate, right? But I'm not going to do that without permission. So Melanie, just so you know, um, there's a little little in the right hand corner there's a little uh hand raise uh status so if you want to like go on microphone and ask a follow-up question to that um then um please hit that little um icon in the lower right hand corner for raising your hand and i'll know that you want to uh turn on your microphone and let's let's do it let's do it that way i would we would love that right we just sit here yeah. talking to ourselves for a while we it's like when you hear somebody else talk back to you it's like oh my god they're out there they're really out there it's really yeah. really cool feeling um but uh I think while we let Melanie think about that, uh, let's look at Michael. So Michael says, um, do you find that fellow entrepreneurs are the best to go to for advice to avoid risk averse, um, to go for advice to avoid risk averse people? I wanna take the first stab at that. Um, the, the, the fellow entrepreneurs tend to be uh, kind of overly, I, I would just go out that can sometimes tend to be overly, support, well, they're going to be overly, actually I have some that are overly negative because they're like, you're, you're crazy to do this. Like they're, they know too much or they're overly positive because they're early in the process. I would say that in my mind, um, I feel like um, to what you said earlier, Maria, is just going to people who love you and support you no matter what unconditionally. It's how I would look at it. People that love you and support you unconditionally is where I go to draw power because I don't need anybody to over encourage me. I'm already self-motivated and it's already wired in me. Um, I don't need anybody to tell me, and I'm, of course I'm a type A, right? So I don't need anybody to tell me that I should or should. I just need someone to love and support me unconditionally. That's just me personally. So um, I, Maria, take a stab at Michael's question. So Michael, um, so I, I am on the opposite side of, of Alan. I have had beautiful friends and whatnot. I've actually not been though loved unconditionally and I have not had support. Um, I had to let go of family members. I mean, I didn't talk to my father for years. I, you know, people, the, just no one ever, I could say ever, I said no one in this time period, uh, no friend, um, no family member supported me in the decision to go for this as a nonprofit and I would make no money for, and I'm, by the way, I'm still not making um, money, but I'm a nonprofit. And so, you you know, I think that going to, when, when he says unconditional people, make sure you have that. If you have that, great. If you don't like me, who didn't have that. I, I just straight up started praying. I said, God, I need people. I need people in my corner and I need people who are gonna get this. And thankfully I did, I got one person, one, he's my CTO now. And um, he, years ago, four years ago, I think it was four years ago, three or four years ago, he's like, wow, this is, you know, this is pretty cool. You know, and he stuck with it. And he, he was the only person who was like, you, you can do this, you can move forward. You can. And I had a couple people here and there, they never stuck around, but a few people here and there. And I think that you can go to entrepreneurs, ask for advice, which is great, you know, Alan, I've actually gone to Alan two or three times in these eight, I've got to go into six years, six or seven years. And like, I've gone to Alan and he, we don't, we weren't close, but I had a question that was relevant to his niche. And I think that's the idea is if you can start finding these people and you have wise questions, it's great. If you just want to kind of like, can you be my mentor? Like, 
yeah you know I, I to be relevant right um yeah. relevant to that person and then if they see that you're doing it and they ask okay you know i want to start talking to you more okay that's one thing right but i think i'm um, going to entrepreneurs is smart i think for for certain things it's smart absolutely by the way you can always come to me i'm filled with all sorts of mistakes that i've learned from um and i think that not having the unconditional is a part of, I think, my journey. And I think it's allowed me to speak to a lot of people who don't have that kind of support system. But I'll tell you what, the people who in my family who didn't support me, now they, 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 I'm so proud of you. Now they've come to Argentina and seen and met my kids. Now they watch these kind of videos. Before it's like, what are you doing? You're talking to some like made up friend, you know, like they don't understand that stuff, right? So. I think um, time will tell who's going to support you, but I think. Yeah, and I would say that people are that care about you, love you, are going to be concerned about risk. You taking risk with because they care about you, right? So it's normal that you won't. Sometimes the support you're not getting early is because they they fundamentally either um, they they, they kind of care about you, or maybe might even be a little jealous at, at a certain point because you're going to go do something really big and amazing. So you might get a little bit of the jealousy, or you might just get an overcare. But at the end of the day, that's why your your why is so important, Maria, right? Because yeah. because your why just kind of transcends all of that and becomes the thing that you really fundamentally external people cannot really matter when it comes to the entrepreneurial mindset. It just can't, right? It just can't. It just it's 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 just calling your name. It's in you, and you have to answer the call, and uh, and you have and you just have to deal with those external. Uh, factors, whether they're supportive or not supportive, and then you got to start finding people that um, will actually be be supportive, not necessarily, you know, overly positive or yes people, but people that are actually believe, I like to use, the, they believe in you. I think you got to believe in you. And if they believe in you, man, you can, if, if somebody believes in me, I, like I can move, there's like nothing I can accomplish when somebody believes in me. It's like a fundamental thing for me, right? Like, it's like, I will do anything to um, to make good on that, right? Just a, it's a trigger, right? But let's talk about, um, back to today's, first of all, I want to ask, by the way, again, please raise your hand. I, we would love to hear somebody weigh in with their microphone. Who's up for their microphone on this topic before we move on? Um, Melanie, I would love it if you did. It would be great. And Art, you're out there as well. Let's hear from you if you're up for it. Um, and then uh, who else we have out there that might be willing to go on? Um, Daniel threw out there, I have the Tiger King. Just, you just got to hit that little raise your hand. Uh, what do we got here? Okay. Melanie, not sure how. Okay. Hey, Melanie, on the lower right-hand corner. All right. First of all, Melanie, what I'm going to do is I think I can turn you on. So I'm unlocking your microphone now. There's usually a little bit of a delay. Um, and, and by the way, Melanie, you're you're. This is Mel, not Melanie. Is this is this is this Mel? That I my friend Mel. Is this who this is? Yeah, this is Melanie oh. from Tampa. Now in Denver. I saw, you know why? Because I see you're in Colorado Springs on the thing. And I said, wait a minute. I know a Melanie in Colorado Springs. <laughs> That's great. Yes, yes. This All has right. been great. Um, and I just, as it relates to the topic, yeah, I think that the the hardest thing for me is finding the right support network, right? So I did the solopreneur thing for uh, about a year and a half and then ended up joining up with the corporate world. and. I've been there ever since, but haven't lost my drive to want to get back to my my entrepreneurial 
spirit. Yeah. I think I'm trying to, at this point, figure out what that looks like. I think solopreneur was a little bit lonely for me. I And I, I think that could have been overcome if I had, you know, the right network. I didn't have the right network around me. Um, mm -hmm. Alan, notwithstanding, he was there. But otherwise, I, I had a lot of people who, not necessarily even naysayers, but just not... Mm -hmm not in a position to give real support where I really needed it. And I, that's, I think that's the challenge is finding that network that you really, that can offer the kind of support that you really need. Not that they were not well-intentioned, but. Yeah. You know what my big takeaway on that Mel is, is um, this whole idea of digging your well before you're thirsty. I think to your, you know, the big takeaway I have on that is just um, it takes a lot of runway. That's why I'm hoping to, to inspire people to get started when they're in a secure job or they're in a place of security to actually start working on this, knowing that you need 18 months to two years, ideally, to build up the kind of people in your life that are gonna ultimately be there for you. Because when you do make that step out, to your point, Melanie, like um, you, if you don't have, if, if, if everybody's not kind of like there, ready to catch and support, um, it not only can be lonely, but you, you find that it's slim pickings. It can be slim pickings, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, you had, by the way, Mel, you had some really amazing, you still do. You had some amazing people that, that you knew that you have relationships with, but, um, but the, maybe the buildup, if I were coaching someone today, then, you know, we would have, we would probably have you build towards that on the side and just keep building um, kind of a following and a support network before you actually made the leap. Right. Would you agree with that, Mel? That would be the ideal way to do it. Yeah, I also, I think for me, um, my mm. network was a blessing and a curse, right? Mm. So I had this entrepreneurial network that was built off my position in academia um, mm. as the assistant provost. And the people that I knew were connected with UT. Yeah. And it was very hard for them to, to see me in another box. Mm -hmm. So it was always, um, yeah. Well, how are you connected to the center? How are you, you know, yeah. it, it was always this Mel as, as an academic uh, yeah. versus, hey, I'm trying to do this thing that looks totally different and I'm, I'm going to a new box. You've got to see me in this new box. And I, I, I felt like even the great people I had couldn't really wrap their mind around my own yeah. transition. Maria, I, I, um, I know it was a side comment about intro introvertedness versus extrovertedness earlier, but I laugh because I'm the, I'm, I call myself an introverted, I mean, an extroverted introvert. So <laughs> I can be out and I can do all those things, but my batteries have to recharge by myself. But, but it's the same, you know, idea back to the, the network thing. It's, you know, putting people into a particular box or mindset. It's really hard for other people to see you in a different light. Um, and, and then be able to shift the way that they interact with you and, and how they can help. Absolutely. I mean, Melanie, I was, I was the party bartender <laughs> turn founder of a nonprofit for orphans. <laughs> right. Right. I love it. I love it so, so much. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I completely get it. I completely understand. Um, but yeah, Melanie, I'd love to chat offline and if yeah. you have any ideas, but I, Melanie is great. awesome. Melanie, you, I'm so glad you said you, she is awesome. And she's now closer uh -huh. to you than, uh, than she was before. Cause she's now in Colorado. So, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and so, and Melanie, I wanted to say again, if we were giving advice to people out there, the fact that you felt a little pegged in the academia world and your network was a blessing and a curse more the reason that someone, if, if more the reason why someone should get started 
while they're in their job, steps, building their brand separately or their product or their company, and you take as much runway as possible during that period so that when you do make that, that move, um, you're, you're, you don't have maybe the problem that you had where you were, you were kind of pegged and known as one thing, but you were trying to be something different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, right? I, I think that's absolutely true. And this, uh, that's hindsight 2020. That's all that is, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Right, right. I just like you know decided to build wings on the way down, but you know it was a great learning experience. But no, it's awesome. Mel, but, thank you for uh, uh, thank you for chiming in here. Is there anybody else want to raise their hand? That little down there in the chat message? box, a little type your message. There's a little a little hand icon. All you have to do is click it, and then we know that you want to uh, you want to weigh in here. So think, yeah, Michael Rose has raised his hand. Oh, he did. Cool. Um, uh, Michael Norberg. Is that right? Okay, cool. Mike, I just Michael, I just unlocked your uh, I just unlocked your microphone. Let's see if you come in strong. Give it a shot. Maybe. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> hey Michael, are you there? <laughs> Maybe. Hey Michael, you there? All right, I'm gonna keep looking. All right, hold on. Anybody else? Uh, okay, so cool. Um, anybody else want to like weigh in here with some uh, some questions or comments? Hey, Maria, while we wait for that, you and I had something else prepared, right? So we wanted yeah. to talk about what people can do in this um, economy. So I want you to walk through. Well, first of all, I'm going to jump into this next slide. Um, this economy. Okay. So we we've had a great conversation. This conversation we just had, we could have had three months ago, right? Because it's basically yeah. these are fundament. This is a these are fundamental things of entrepreneurship. But well, hold the door, <laughs> hold the door. We have um, a very serious economy, economic situation unfolding around us right now. So, talk about this slide because you did a little research on this, and I want you to walk us through it. Yeah. So I have been um, another one of Tampa's incredible. Uh, businesswoman Chelsea Drinkard. Um, she's been a really powerhouse. She's been a powerhouse in my life for for several years. I was a leader with her. She leads um, Christian Businesswomen Connect in Tampa. It's called CBWC, and she and I helped her co-lead for a couple of years. And she just always had this tenacity and drive. She's an entrepreneur, okay? So she had this tenacity and drive to like want to learn more, especially when it came to finance. And so. Um, we were always reading these really cool books and, and, you know, financial freedom and all this good stuff. And she always felt like at a disadvantage as a woman, like she didn't know stocks. She didn't know about investments. So I'm a, I love research and I, the analytical entrepreneur, right? That's me. So give me some data and I, I just like eat it up and I want to learn more. And so as she was telling me about, you know, the financial world, I was like, you know, I've been investing since I was 18, but I just like just kind of do it. You know, I just put money in the stock market and that's it. And um, when she started bringing that up, she really piqued my interest and she started um, learning under Dan. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Danny Johnson. She's a business coach. She's phenomenal. Another phenomenal entrepreneur. Her husband, Han, started this wealth um, risk management kind of coaching. And so I joined that because Chelsea was a part of it. And I, I saw her in the past couple of years go from, I know nothing about stocks and investment hedges, all this good stuff to this chick, she knows what she's talking about. Okay. And, um, and yes, 
and um, she she knew what she was talking about. And I was like, how did she, how did she do that? Like, how did she figure this one out, right? And so she told me about Hans, and Hans Johnson is my wealth management coach right now. And what I'm understanding and what I'm learning is just do the work, do the research, just like a business. Let's look at history. Let's look at like, so if we were gonna open a business, I would look at right now for me, it's wine, right? Um, so we'll talk about that some other time, but I looked at, well, what's the trajectory of wine drinking? Um, what's the target audience? You know, how big can the audience be? You do this research. So it's the same thing with the economy. And so I wanna learn more about stocks. I wanna learn more about what's happening in this world. And I'm seeing certain trends. And so I'm now I'm starting to, my eyes are kind of open and it's like, this virus and what's happening with the governments and all this money going out and well what's going to happen because of that is there anything in history that's somewhat similar that we can look at and say wow this this may be happening to us soon and so i did some research and some of that stuff most of this is based on um the 19 early 1930s research and it's really interesting so let's say this is over in a month just like most of our politicians are saying, but let's ask the question, what if we're wrong? What if this isn't over in a month? What if this isn't over in six months? What happens? So I think we need to start asking each other ourselves these really hard questions that say like, well, what if our politicians are wrong? You know, what if it's not gonna only last for a couple of weeks? You know, and I'm not just talking the virus, but I'm talking the economical situation and the impact, right? Um, so that was really interesting to me. And what I found was when I went back to some historical data, we can find some incredible opportunity and incredible figures to look at. And so here you'll see this this name, um, Floyd, right? Oldham. And he, he, Floyd is like, nobody would know, nobody knows him. Nobody really knows him. But what he, what, he was a, an investment banker and he's like, something's going on in the 1920s late 1920s he started looking at the stocks and they were just kept going up 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 and up and he's like they can't keep going up forever so he took his money out made a fortune sure enough everyone knows the depression happened <laughs> he made a fortune cash heavy and what happened was as the economy tanked he was able to become the wealthiest top 10 in the world i believe because he became cash he, he thought cash so um I just think that we as entrepreneurs mindset, we need to look through our history and we need to say what worked and what can work for us today. Whether, whether it was the Great Depression or the Great Recession, we have really incredible um, tools for us to look at. And so I'm taking Floyd as this opportunity to say, why don't we sell what we can? You know, if there's like extra, you know, junk around our house, let's just declutter, make as much cash as we can. Like, can you freelance on the side? Can you babysit for those two parents who work from home now and they have to take care of their kids? You know, what can we do? And so um, same thing I wrote, you know, we have here farmers and um, the theaters, the theaters are a big thing. Nobody can go in big crowds right now, but what we can do is look at the theaters and what they did in marketing back in the thirties when no one had money to go to the theater, what did they do to stay afloat? And what they did was just so unique and they thought outside the box and they thought about their target audience. And so I think we need, we're challenged in this particular economy to say, well, what if we're wrong? And what if this is much bigger than we think it is? You know, how can we start to market differently? How can we become advocates for something else? How can we make more cash now? Because guess what? 
if we are wrong and this does last longer, we can look to our historical references and say, this is gonna be the opportunity of a lifetime for our entrepreneurial mindsets. This is gonna be the opportunity that we've waited for and that what we were created for yeah. is this time now. And that's right. Um, that's right. I want to yeah. add to that. Yeah, I think I think uh, the, the the big takeaway I have from that is, um, you know, again, back to digging your well before you're thirsty, the idea that um, use this opportunity, if, if you have any, you know, security at all, use this opportunity to work on laying the groundwork for for something that could could sustain you in more difficult times, right? By the way, cash is a big part of that, but you know, laying the groundwork for a new business, right? Or a new business, whether it be a side business or something that could be bigger. And uh, because, like you said, Maria, like if this thing is longer and worse than we expect, you're going to need runway. We talk about it with startups all the time. It's called runway. It's called lead time, right? You, you, there's big things, hard things. Uh, they they uh, they don't happen. You don't snap your fingers. You need multiple months, multiple months to lay the groundwork for anything you have anything of substance that you might want to launch. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So you want to you want to lay that groundwork because if, like you said, if it is, if it is, uh, if you are wrong, if it is worse, we expect whatever you do today is actually going to directly correlate with what you have in three to six months from now. And think about three to six years. Right. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. right. Because yeah. that's even short term thinking, right? And, yeah. And, okay. and yeah. If, we're, if we're not wrong and everything is cleared up in a couple of weeks and months, well, great. Now you have extra cash. Get right. that, you know, now you can invest in. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe market content or, uh, you know, some some extra advertising. And so I think that it's a win win when you really think if, in that mentality of, well, what if I'm what if I'm wrong? And I, I want to definitely credit John um, um, Hans Johnson on that, because he really got that in me to, to say, well, well, if I'm if I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, what do I need to do today? Right. Like, what do yeah. we need to do today as entrepreneurs to fix that? And, and how do we also make business models that won't crumble under a 10% correction in the market or um, that will crumble at a recession. You know, let's start thinking like that. And I, I think if we can think like that as an entrepreneur, we, we create more solid foundation. Like you said, that takes several months to create anyway, just take a week of, or two and say, well, what would happen if we got into a recession? Would my business fail? Am I too reliant on debt? Am I too you know, what does that look like? And I think now is a great more than ever uh, time to to look at these options and and see the products and how consumers spend their money when there is a down market. You know, we were on a huge run for so many years, um, you know, just things to think about, you know. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Hey, Michael, I turned your microphone back on. Let's give you another shot because you texted that you that you tried but uh, didn't work. So your mic is back on. Let's give uh, let's see if. Um, if it works, go ahead. Hey, Michael, any luck? Any luck? Any luck, Michael? Hey, there you are. Yes. Can you hear go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Number two. Okay. Uh, we hear you. We hear you. Go for it, man. Perfect. I had a few, uh, first question we kind of passed by, but I guess now that we're talking about finances, you know, a lot of people have a bad relationship with finances, thinking more money is bad and stuff. Uh, running a nonprofit, have you had like similar struggles with the mindset around money? 
I think you just opened a can of worms. So <clears throat> that's a great question, Michael. So at first, I so I think if you understood a little, I think you understand a little bit about my background. Work hard for what you what you want. I mean, I worked two three jobs since I was forever in age. You know, I and I op the only reason I opened a nonprofit was to show people because it was a stigma that society gave that society gives that technically you can't do good or humanitarian work unless you have a dot org okay now you're, you're you just push something inside of me i don't know if you can like feel <laughs> that right and so somebody's been triggered someone's been triggered yeah. and so the dot org status gives you all of a sudden some sort of clout that you do good and what we've noticed in the past is that unfortunately nonprofits, whether they have a .org and a 501c3 and all that technical stuff, they cheat people just as much, if not, as regular businesses. However, they have the tax and look at, you know, all that good stuff, but they're a .org, so they're humanitarian. Unfortunately, what I found was in the in the nonprofit sector, and I speak about this, I've done public speaking about on this topic particularly, that unfortunately nonprofits are held to a really, really what's a good word for this? Unrealistic standard of business. We're expected to save the world and yet make no money doing it. And I'm not saying profit. I'm saying we're overhead. Everything is overhead, overhead, overhead. And we have to keep our overhead, our human resources, our advertising dollars, our marketing, our way to reach the target audiences, our donors at the lowest possible. So I have had a really tough time as a businesswoman, in my core of core, I'm a businesswoman, having a nonprofit and having to deal with this social um, mentality of, well, you're not supposed to be making money anyway, you know, but go save those children, go feed those children, yet I can't feed myself. So I've had to really turn it up and, and take that financial. And, and your question is, is do I struggle with the money part? No, I, I don't struggle anymore, but I used to. And now it's okay. I've started my not my my for profit, and no one's going to tell me what I can and can't do with that money. Fifty percent goes to my nonprofit, but the other fifty percent will feed me and will feed my my coworkers and and colleagues. And um, I I see things very differently in the for profit and nonprofit world, unfortunately. And I think that as an entrepreneur, I had to solve that problem. And I believe that our for profits will solve that problem for many nonprofits across the globe one day. Awesome. Michael, Michael, follow up question. Michael, follow up question to that, or are you good? Uh, no, well, I guess so. That's from your perspective. Do you, do you have groups of other nonprofits that kind of feel the same way? Because I think I'd want to go towards the nonprofit. So just, and saying, I, just, I, just so you know, real quick, Cal Tiger, who's a friend of mine here in, in the Clearwater, he, he writes, I totally agree with this .org business. In fact, I donated a thousand worth of computers to a local nonprofit recently and found that they just turned around and sold it as scrap. I think most of these 501c3s are a scam. Pretty strong statement. Thanks. Uh, yeah, that's but I mean, we're just getting out there, just putting it out yeah. there. Thanks for bringing this. Thanks for bringing this up, right? And uh, and Cal, um, we we're gonna mention what you, I know. Cal, it's good stuff. Um, but um, so back to to your question, uh, Michael. What's your follow on to that? Yeah, sure. I guess I guess. Um because you've now started a, a for-profit and non-profit, the for-profit's the one that makes money. Is there any like anything you can do as an individual to kind of make a dent to change that stigma that non-profits have to make no money? Like your non-profit can actually 
make a, a profit and then the profits just go to good things? Okay, so how it works, that's, thank you, Michael. So how it works is nonprofits can make money. What it is is at the end of the year, they can, they have to have a zero balance. So they mm -hmm. can't make money, any profit left over. So what we're expected to do, so let's say today, Michael, you decide to make a donation to my nonprofit of $1 million, okay? I have to take that million dollars and I have to decide as the founder and the CEO of this nonprofit, I have to decide what to do with this million dollars. Me, as an entrepreneur, I take that million dollars, I would take 500,000 of it and I would put it to advertising to quadruple my money. I would take the other $500,000 and put it toward product or uh, product, excuse me, program, program development. Let me ask you if, if news networks found out that I took $500,000 50% of your donation and took it and advertised with it to go make more, they would tear me to pieces because Absolutely. I'm not profit. They would tear me to pieces. So as consumers, as donors, excuse me, I keep switching the two as donors start donating wisely and they start thinking like, hold on a second, my thousand dollars instead of okay, Cal, instead of a thousand dollars in computers, if I said, take this thousand dollars, sell it and put it in advertising, make 10,000 with it. Now we're talking capacity building. Now we're building the opportunity for a nonprofit to take $1,000 and make $100,000 with it. Instead of $1,000 of feeding food, why don't we take a million dollars that we just made from advertising because we, we invested our money and I would now we can feed how many more kids, right? I think we need to shift that mentality. And I think it's instead of looking for charities of how much does your dollar go, um, Dan Pelota, that's a name that you know I, I really want to throw out there. Dan Plot is one of our forefathers and pioneers in in this conversation that we're having. Um, we need to start asking what's the impact versus what how much of my dollar is going to the program, because that's insulting. I I still eight years and I I don't have a salary. Okay, I've had to work yes. up until June of last quick year. Inter, quick interjection: Melanie one gets credited right now. She's Melanie one. She's the second. But she she threw out Dan Pollock early, like way back. Um, yeah, I saw that. And I was wondering. She said, "Yeah, she said she mistyped it." So uh, we got to give Melanie credit, right? Yeah. yeah. Dan Pelota, and he's you know I've I've spoken with him before. We've you know it's it's just a really big issue, especially in today's economy, where we're competing with Facebook ads and Google ads. And I you know actually I, I lied. We did get one grant. It's not cash grant, but it's a Google advertising grant. I'm competing. They give me $10,000 a month. I don't even get four or 5,000 of it, you know, sold ads because we're competing with businesses who pay for ads and they get top slots. So as wonderful as this grant is, and we're actually now having a, be a better conversion rate because we're doing things right. If we don't start to think as donors, hey, you know what, take this $10,000 and I don't want you to spend it on the program. I want you to spend it on advertising. I want you to spend it on marketing. Multiple. Not that's what I'm saying. Not, and again, even fundraising can be really, is the ROI there. We need to start thinking more like a business. Like business people. Like, like business, business people. I've had people say, why don't you throw more events? I'm like, do you know what the ROI on that is? I lose money every time. We lose money every time. And what's the point? Because all the other social, all the other nonprofits are doing it. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to me. I have to start thinking, what's my ROI? What's the acquisition cost of a donor? Right. That any and any sensible for-profit business. That's the only thing you're thinking of, right? Is that's what's right. my acquisition cost? That's right. So, um, that's I think 
Michael, as a, as a, is, is as a, as a donor say, Hey, you know, I want this to be, and you know what you could use, you could use their language. I would like this to be a restricted donation and I want it to go to capacity building, pay, pay more for your CEO, get a better, get better advertising, you know, make it to build the company instead of the program. Right. I hope that helps. Right. No, that's beautiful. That, that, uh, multiple, thank you. <laughs> um, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you, Michael, for for miking in. We appreciate that. Um, and uh, you were getting some more amens, preach ons uh, from uh, from, Mel, from Melanie earlier. Mel, both both Melanies is. I don't know if it's the same. I got Melanie, Melanie one. It might be the same Melanie. I'm not sure, um, which will be interesting to find out. And uh, been very much triggered. By the way, this is going to be a great way for us to segue to the final the final ten minutes here which is about, um, cause it's already been asked about once, which is, um, it is, it's the same Melanie. <laughs> it's the same, it is the, uh, that's hilarious. The, the, so this is a beautiful tee up to, um, uh, to the wine, to the wine club because, all right. So let's, let's talk about the wine club. I'm like giddy about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what's really cool, we, we think about entrepreneurship and I think this whole, you know, we're all on here for, for one reason is, you know, how do we start as I'm starting? Who's my network? How can I build a yep. network and, you know, all that good stuff. And so as a nonprofit, we're here to solve the problem for, for me to solve the problem of youth orphans. Okay. They end up on the street, you know, 98% of the time they become a statistic. So, so what's the solution, right? So we come up with the solution. That's our nonprofit side. Then the nonprofit comes up with their own slew of, issues that we need to solve funding as a small nonprofit no backers um, no churches that back me or anything like that um, formally back or any of that so how do we get funding so not only do I have to create a program implement the program now I need to fundraise as well and as a solopreneur homepreneur now I have to put my entrepreneur hat and say wait a second something's not working here I need to fix this so in Argentina, that's where that's where we're uh, stationed, and you know that's our headquarters. I said, "What is it that the donors do?" Right? Donors, the the, the highest percent, you know, the highest uh, majority of donors, the target audience that we go for, they're the one to two percenters in society. They give the most to to nonprofits, and so we said, "Well, what do they want on the consumer side?" Well, travel, wine, they golf, they play tennis, they um, you know, all sorts of stereotypical stuff that we can, <laughs> we can come up with, right? I mean, it's a stereotype for a reason. And so, um, well, Argentina, we happen to be in Mendoza, Argentina, it develops incredible wine. So Melbeck, Pinot Noir, Cab Franc. Um, and so after eight years, throughout these eight years, I've developed incredible relationships because what we teach our, our aged out orphans is skill-based training in hospitality and tourism. So winemaking, um, chef gastronomy, um, furniture making, <clears throat> tourism, event planning. So these and, and um, accessory design. So as I'm creating this program, I'm also developing incredible relationships with hoteliers and winemakers. So I said, this fundraising thing isn't working. It's not sustainable for me. I'm going crazy. And in fact, I had two severe, um, I don't know, come to health, health issues. <laughs> 
health issues yeah and most recently last year and so i developed a program about four years ago where we would take the wine from argentina put a label on it co-brand it and co-create you know particular blends and we would sell it in the u.s unfortunately there's a three-tier system in the u.s that you would need extremes amount of investment to get into the u.s thankfully things have started to turn around now we can go direct to consumer I never, ever gave up this dream. I kept working on it. I just wasn't the time. And that comes back to being an entrepreneur. I just, it, it was going to happen. It was just a matter of time. And so I didn't cry like a baby and take it as a failure. I said, okay, it's not the time. And I have a team that's, I, I can't do any of this without them. Yes, I put this wine together, but without this team taking it to market, um, there's nothing, right? And so now we developed a wine club where we go direct to consumer. Our wineries are, are now we're gonna start a little different than what we had origina originally thought, but we have wine from Argentina, um, Spain, Portugal, and our first wine uh, case will be from mixed from those. And 50% of our profit goes to our program to now it's, we're gonna be feeding a lot more families because of the crisis. So we're going to be doing a lot of disaster relief as well as continuing our mentorship program for our orphaned youth. Um, so I thought recession proof. I thought no matter what happens, people are going to be drinking. Um, no matter what happens, people are going to want things delivered to their home. It, yes, it's a small portion, but it keeps growing year after year, right? Well, now look and no one's leaving their homes. <laughs> Everyone wants to drink. Everyone's having yeah. happy hours on the yeah. computer at home. So it's like ding, ding, ding. But I, we were ready for this opportunity. And sure enough, thank, thank the Lord, we're not in debt. And we have no debt as well as our nonprofit. Yes, we don't have loads of money, but we also don't have loads of debt. We don't have loads of um, you know, expense. So we're not hurting. We're not, we don't live on credit cards. and. I think that this is why I think I implore you guys, um, get your cash, get out, you know, as soon as you can get out of debt, get out of debt, but get that cash up because the opportunities are going to be raw and real. And lower and lower your cost basis so that you can have more yeah. cash. Yeah. Don't, don't live the way society keeps telling us to live because I think it's very overrated and you could tell we had a 10%, you know, Hans always says this, we had a 10% correction and like everyone flipped in the market, it was just a 10% correction. And it was like the crash, you know, of, of 29. And it's like, wait, it was only 10%. It went back to what it was in 2018. Why is everyone flipping out? They're flipping out because they're living above their means. It's all credit. It's all, they're, they're at the top of their level. They're over leveraged. And so I just say as an entrepreneur, let's be, remember where we started really frugal, how do we do this ourselves, teach ourselves skills that maybe we could hire out one day when we get there. Um, but that's the wine company now. It's humanitywineco.com. We're not, we're not fully launched yet, but um, you can actually go there and put in your email and you're going to get, um, we're going to be giving a crazy deal for anyone that's coming from here. But um, it's not up yet, but you'll get to see a little bit of what we're about. And oh, thanks, Alan. And uh -huh. um, yeah, you'll see how, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, that didn't happen overnight. People are going to be like, oh, she came up out of nowhere. You know, I love when that happens, right? Like, yeah, of course. Know. Overnight success. Hey, right. Cal, hey, Cal, I promised I'm going to turn your mic on. Um, Cal raised his hand earlier per my request. 
and uh, and I didn't even notice. I don't know when is I, I, like I got to learn. I'm still learning my platform. So hey, Cal, are you out there? Your mic is lit. So let's hear from you. Yep, we hear you. Briefly, we hear some wind in the background, so we know you're close. Cal, you there? Oh, Mo, he said, oh, wait a minute. Cal? All right, Cal, we may have missed you, but I got your mic on, just FYI. I'm gonna give you one more shot here. Okay, well, we are coming up at the 8.30 mark. This is exactly, we're right on schedule. Um, Anybody else want to throw a comment? Okay, Mike, Delucia, you, Mike, you've got a comment. You're writing right now. I can see you're typing. I just want to scan these um, these these comments. They're pretty cool. Uh, Ken says 501c3 is just a tax designation. It has nothing to do with mission or moral compass. If your mission is doing good, let that be your lead. That's awesome. Thank you, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Um, and then uh, Mike says he can't wait. So. Um, that's that's pretty cool. Everybody's got the link here. Um, so, so Maria, Maria, this has been a tour de force. Like, my God, I don't think everybody was ready. I don't think they were strapped in tight enough for this one. I don't think I was ready. <laughs> I don't think they were ready. Um, this is good. this is uh, recorded um, on the Click Meeting platform. Everybody's going to get an email with the with the recording, but I'm, I also have it up on my my YouTube channel. Um, tomorrow at some point and um, for posterity so we can have it and I'll make sure that you have that and so forth. But um, this is cool. There's a few people that want to connect with you. First of all, Melanie is Melanie can't wait to connect with you. So I hope you talk tomorrow to Melanie. If anybody else wants to connect uh, with Maria, please drop in the chat right now. I want to see that. Just say, hey, I'd like to connect with um, Maria. Just write that in the chat if you would. Um, that would mean a lot. That way, um, Maria can uh, know, you know, who wants to connect with her. Um, I know Melanie wants to for sure. Looks like Michael's writing and Mike and Cal, all three are. That's good. Let's see what you got. Cool. Um, oh, Cal, so, Cal says he's back. Uh, Cal, you worked, you, 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 you know, your mic is still on, Cal, if you're still there. So, um, if you if Cal if it's working if not that's great so Michael Norberg says he's absolutely going to link he's going to message you on LinkedIn um, you're going to talk to Mel and then of course Mike Delucia. Hi um, Mike. So yeah. good. <laughs> Maria, this has been awesome. I'm uh, I feel like I'm on a roll here. I don't I don't know how my future guests can, can even compete with what we're doing. <laughs> I love it. I feel bad. I feel bad when I share this stuff to my future guests because they're like, oh my god, like I gotta like live up to this like. Um, so I'm like, well, you know, that's good. You know, this keep... all your other ones. They're pretty amazing. Yeah. Right. But that's really everyone's story, right? Everyone has yeah. their own story and, and they, everyone can glean from all the little bits. Absolutely. So thank you, Maria. I'm going to, I think we're going to sign off here again. Like I said, the recording is going to be up soon and you can, um, and a lot of new, new folks are going to want to connect with you. Um, looks like Leslie said she's already in your LinkedIn box. <laughs> I'm excited to meet everyone and chat. Thank you and, and happy Resurrection Sunday. I know it's a it's holiday we're coming up on, so that's right. That's enjoy right. it. Thank All you, right. Alex, for everything. Thank Absolutely, you. and thank you, Maria, for being so in my corner and supportive of me for even from a distance. And like I said, your little notes during when I was writing my book, I wasn't getting many of those, and in, in, in fact, zero. And I got 
like a couple from you during that period. It really meant a lot because so many people reach out to me, my role, like want something this, they want something that they want. And it was just really cool to get a note that says, Hey, didn't want anything, just wanted to encourage me. That just honestly meant a lot. So. Of course, man. Okay. You're doing great things. Okay. Have a good night. Good night. Good night to you and good night, everybody. Ciao.